Greetings from the Long Island Sound podcast. Welcome to the show. Please rate, review, and comment on the show. And call our listener line and leave a message for our guests. Dial 631-800-3579. All right, enjoy the show. Thanks for joining us for the Long Island Sound podcast. Each week we explore new music and dive deeper with the artists and their stories behind the music. Please subscribe and rate and review us wherever you stream this podcast. Here's your host, Steve Yusko. You are in store for an intriguing conversation that I had with Phil Firetog of the Phil Firetog Trio. They are Long Island natives who started back in 2015. And if you're a fan of John Mayer or Dave Matthews, I think you'll recognize the vibe in their music. Let's take a listen to Long Island Christmas Eve.
miss this. Let's keep our tradition of a very merry. And you can count on that we'll be home for a very merry Long Island Christmas. And no matter the distance, we can miss this. Let's keep our tradition of a very merry Long Island Christmas. The Phil Firetog Trio was formed back in 2015. It includes Phil Firetog on guitar and vocals, Johnny Potts on drums, very appropriate name, and Liam Gordon on bass. They're a band that mingles textures and layers to create music that draws their audience into an experience. And with that, I welcome Phil Firetog to the Long Island Sound. Welcome, Phil. Good to have you. Thank you. Glad to be here. So I got to ask this. How did you first pick up an instrument and decide, yeah, I think I can do this. Ooh. Um, I don't know. Ever, ever since I was like really young, my parents already like put me into music. So growing up, I started off with playing piano. My older sister was playing piano before too. So music was like a natural thing that was in the family. Um, and then at a very young age, my parents like also put me into uh band at school mm-hmm. uh younger than what it would normally be and i was playing oboe back then wow and then i don't know as i grew older like i started realizing like oh it was, like it's not that cool to play oboe like at that time <laughs> for me you know so i was like oh what, what are all the cool people doing right now and they, they were all playing guitar um so then i quickly wanted to play guitar um and just with the background of i guess like piano and oboe like i just wanted to i, I taught myself guitar so i don't have any actual classic training in guitar or anything further than that but you have the, you have the music background so that definitely gives you a foundation yeah, yeah. so th- there was a very basic foundation that was there and then just basically following my ear for the rest of it you know to create was like the main goal on every instrument that i played i always wanted to just create and not necessarily play other people's stuff right i hear you now when you when you first formed the band in 2015 how did that come about how did you decide it was going to be a trio and and then we'll talk about um, your sound, which I find very unique. Yeah. So um, when I started in 2015, I came out of another band that I was playing in. I was playing bass for a while in it, and I was playing guitar. Uh, that band was Paging Grace. And I transitioned into wanting to do my own music after that and really focusing on the songs that I was creating that I never brought to the table with that band. And in 2015, I went to the studio over at Voodoo Studios with Mike Watts, and we recorded 10 songs. And it was the first time that I got to do songs my way that I wanted to do it from start to finish Mm. for every instrument. And that kind of was my business card um, when I was shopping around for other musicians. And I knew at that point that just coming from another band, 
like I wanted to, I didn't like the idea of always like the, the changing members, changing a band name or changing the image or doing that. Sure. So I was like, oh, let's, let's think about this smarter. And this is all the music that I wrote. This is all the music that, you know, I wrote from start to finish. I wanted to be Phil Firetog and I always wanted just a smaller group because I came from a band that was like, we had five guys in it and it was like every decision that we had to make, it was just so like every guy had to agree. Every guy had to show up to practice. It was complicated. Five different people's schedules. Um, so I was like, I want the foundation to be very, very simple. And it was very interchangeable of like who could be in it, who can't, if one person left, it's still Phil fire talk trio. And that's how the trio kind of like came about. Um, and then I ran into, uh, my old tap student, who used to follow my old band and he reached out to me and he's like, yo, I really want to play drums for this band. I would love to, you know? And I was like, Oh, that sounds great. Like, cool. Let's, you know, learn these parts. Here's the 10 songs I recorded. Mm -hmm. And then he, that was Jake Brigaglio. Uh, and he was going up to school at U Albany at the time. Okay. And he's like, yo, I, I had this amazing bass player that you got to meet. Um, he's really great. He's, he's awesome. His name's, Liam Gordon. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, let's go up there. We'll have a practice. We'll meet. And we all hit it off. Um, and we had a great time. You know, Liam's an amazing player. Absolutely. Uh, and, and Jake was awesome. Jake learned the parts start to finish perfectly. Um, and that was the whole birth of the trio. Wow. Now, let me ask you this. How do you get, how do you transition from woodshedding your instrument to saying, yeah, I think I can write some songs. Like, how, how does the muse hit you? How, you know, what's your process? Does it vary all the time? Or how'd you put the songs together? The yeah, the process totally varies. Um, but that transition, when we were when we were in that other band, uh, it was a very creative process for all of us. We all loved putting in our input, and we all loved creating. It was a really cool, unique environment. Uh, you know, the the singer was mainly the songwriter too, but mm -hmm. we all had say and like we brought our own songs to the table and like he would kind of merge them the way that he wanted to or shape them and make him make them his own and then we put our parts onto it and just that creative process was so addicting like completely addicting and you're like oh i want to keep on doing this and i would go home and keep writing my own stuff too so i had like a whole catalog of things that i was sitting on mm -hmm. um but when that band dispersed, it was like, I wanted to keep on going and there wasn't anyone else there. You know, the, everyone was gone. So it was like, Oh, what, what, what do I do now? I was like, I, I still want to do this. So the only way to keep on doing it in the way that I wanted to do it was to just do my own thing. Sure. What, what, what's interesting, uh, what's inter what I found interesting when you get a group and you find that collaborative chemistry, and sometimes it takes a while to figure out personalities and input and uh, not be thin-skinned about things and, and kind of roll with it. But once you find that magic, it's really something you want to you hang on to. So I can appreciate where, you know, you want to take control of that to a certain degree and, and keep it somewhat pure uh, and, yeah. and not make it, um, you know, 15 people trying to give input on one song, you know, which could be totally disastrous, you know. Well, we we saw firsthand from from that it was there was just too many cooks in the kitchen. Mm. As fun and creative as it was, it was just like, you know, we started bickering over like literally all the small things that were in there. Like, oh well, 
you know, that song wasn't that great because of that bass lick. Or that song wasn't that great because, you know, you shouldn't have played the guitar that way. Um, So with that in mind, I came into the project where I was just like, listen, like, I'm open to all suggestions. Like, it's not just like the Phil Firetog show. Right. Like, I don't want it to be that. Like, I do love the collaboration, but it was just, I wanted, I wanted my say on, you know, what's the final decision here? Like, you know, something I really don't like that, let's change it. Uh, is there another option that we can do? Is there something better? Because at the end of the day, I didn't want to, I didn't want to point fingers at people and be like, well, this isn't good because of you guys. Sure. Like, this didn't work out because of my decision. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, right. like it's a lot easier to put the blame, take the blame and not have to hold a grudge later on at other people for a stupid mistake that isn't their fault, you know? Yeah. And, you know, nothing's perfect. And what's interesting, somebody's got to take charge and make the decisions. <laughs> you know, yeah. you can get five creatives in a room and they'd have a great time and never come up with anything. I mean, that's just the reality of things. So having a good chemistry of different people can really affect uh, your productivity and your creativity, you know, at the same time. So I'm going to switch gears for a moment. So where's where's hometown for you, if you don't mind saying? I Well, um, hometown is Farmingdale. Okay. Farmingdale, New York, yeah. I'm a Beth Page guy, so we were... Oh, we're, we're, we're neighbors. We're neighbors, <laughs> and Farmingdale has just become like a new hub of, of nightlife, for sure, at least. Oh, absolutely. It's changed completely. At least it's, it's almost like competing with Patchogue, I think, you know, so... Uh, yeah, well, that's where I was living before, too. Like, I, I float around. I, I was in, grew up in Farmingdale, lived over in Massapequa, then Huntington, then Patchogue, and now I'm back here in Farmingdale. Gotcha, gotcha. So now, do yeah. you do you put the tracks together in a home studio and then go to a studio to have it mixed, or what, what's your process with that? Um... Occasionally we do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would I would say for the most part not though. It's more, um, you know, the songs are pretty much written guitar with vocal and then brought to the other guys and then we start workshopping them, saying what we like, what we don't like about it. And in that group we start, um, you know, creating little more individualized meetings that we'll have. And then like one time I'll just meet with just the drummer and we'll work on you know, I'll meet with Johnny and we'll just work on drums and get it perfect to the framework of what we want. Then we'll do the same thing with bass, bring it in. Um, and it's kind of just built on each session, I guess. Gotcha. But we don't get a chance to really record them, listen back and everything until we go to the studio. The studio is where we have our idea. We lay everything down. We hear it back and then we cha- we make the changes on the spot. Now, do you send it to somebody to mix it down for you or are you guys doing all the work at that point? Uh, we normally go to Voodoo Studios. Which is based, I'm not familiar, record. where are they based out of? So they're Port Jefferson. Okay, gotcha. Uh, and Mike is the producer, owner of the studio. And we sit with him and his engineer, Frank, who also produces as well. So Mike and Frank will be in our session and they'll be with us, you know, workshopping ideas, auditioning parts for stuff and seeing which one works better. Um and yeah, it really is brought to life there at the studio. Gotcha. Now our audience heard Long Island Christmas Eve. Tell me how that came about. That song was, I was sitting on that one for a little bit. And that is my personal experience for Christmas Eve. Hmm. And I have a group of friends that will gather from wherever we are. We always come back home. They would be in school. They come back. Now they live wherever they live. And they come back to see their family here on Long Island. And 
it was a little tradition that we had that we met at a diner on Christmas Eve. So at midnight on Christmas Eve, we always met up. Wow. We always just hung out. We had like a little, our, our own little party. We go to the diner afterwards. We go out for drinks and everything. And it's just something that we've been doing for years. Um, and that was something that I always wanted to do a Christmas song. And I always struggled to be like, well, what am I writing a Christmas song about? What is this going to be about? You know, am I going to be talking about Santa? Am I going to be talking about Frosty? Like, right. what, what's the topic here? And that was the one that felt like the most true to me. So I wanted to write something that was I was very connected to for it. And that's the story. Nice. So why don't we do this? Let's take a quick break. And I have a guess on who some of your influences might be. Uh, okay. I'm not going to say now. We'll leave that as a mystery. And uh, when we come back from the break, we'll see if I was on target or not. Stick with us, everybody. Absolutely. We'll be right back with Phil Firetug. At the Long Island Sound, we're much more than a podcast. We're building a community. Please go to gigdestiny.com. Check out all our social media links. Subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. Please comment. Call the listener line. Tell us what you think, what questions we should ask, who we should have on the show. And most of all, we thank you for your generous support. And remember, support the artists who are guests on the show. Now back to the podcast. Okay, we're back with Phil Firetalk, and I have this guest. And if you listen to Phil's band and music, it jumps right. Uh, at least it jumps right out of me. So I'm going to guess one of your influences was Dave Matthews. Am I correct? Absolutely correct. Yeah. All right. What what else, what other Dave is, what other guys as well? I'm sorry, I cut you cut you off. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I think. One of the main influences, though, for me and getting into writing and getting into the, the way that I wanted to play was um, originally John Mayer. Okay. John Mayer was like that first pop, for me, pop mainstream acoustic player. And I always loved acoustic guitar, the tonality, the texture, everything about it. And hearing that someone was able to make something so popular at the time, it was, that was a huge influence for me. Um, and then on top of it, I mean, he's just an amazing player. Mm -hmm. But um, so he was a huge influence for just playing acoustic guitar. Uh, Rob Thomas and Matchbox 20 was another huge inspiration for songwriting. Mm -hmm. uh, Dave Matthews, huge inspiration for uh, just overall sound and production. And then for the style of guitar that I play with um, my effects and everything that I do on the technical end um, is John Butler Trio. Or just John Butler. The way that he plays guitar, he does like a split signal. Uh, half the guitar goes into an effects board. The other half goes just DI acoustic, and it's all mixed and blended from there. Oh, interesting. Interesting. What I did, what yeah. I really enjoyed was um, adding the uh, the wind instruments. In, well, first, let me let me reel it back a little bit. One, I see Phil Firetog Trio, and then I see like five guys in one of the pictures. I'm like, well, how did that happen? <laughs> But then I noticed, I think he had a flute player and, and a sax player. And I really appreciate the adding of the wind instruments because it just brings it a whole different texture to a song and, and really, absolutely, really brings it out. And I'll, I'll just give a reference to there's a guy named Tony Tobias, uh, who's from Huntington. He's a South, originally from South Africa. And he ran into a group of guys from Oceanside and they brought um, with them a horn section. And man, let me tell you, it really affected his music in such a positive way. It was really enjoyable to see him play live. Nice. 
Yeah, the, the, those instruments just add a, a whole different level of texture, a whole different, they paint a totally different picture in it. Um, and like, it makes the songs feel a little bit more through composed. Mm. And there's just a lot more detail that's in there that can take you on a, a totally different journey. So, so the question I have for you is, when you put that arrangement together in the studio, how is it to go and play live now and try to replicate that? Um, there, there's definitely uh, strengths and weaknesses about okay. it. Uh, the weakness is that it never sounds the same. It will never sound the same as the recording. And I think that's one thing that I really enjoy. And surprisingly, I think that's also the strength because every time that we play it, I allow the guys, or or it allows the guys, I don't allow it. <laughs> it allows the guys um, more creative freedom and to really feel what they're, they want to feel as musicians. And a lot of those guys that are the woodwind players and horn players are all jazz musicians. Right. You know, they're not the, the garage band type guys. They weren't the guys that were in high school playing in the band with, you know, with, with the bass and guitar and drums. And they have a totally different creative mindset. And it's fun to watch that. And it's fun to like immerse myself in that because it's totally different. Um, but they go in with all this different feeling every time that they're playing it. And it's really fun. And it's a totally different show. Every time that we play, it's a totally different vibe. And it's the vibe of what we're feeling for that night, and it's awesome. Nice, nice. You know, it's interesting. I remember talking to my friend Steve Martino, and he mentioned that, you know, Tony Bennett doesn't sing any particular song the same way all the time. He has mm -hmm. those nuances and the feel, and I, I would think he taps into emotion to, uh, to yeah. kind of play in that. And then when you're playing live, you know, you have that yin and yang between the audience, and you get, you're getting a vibe from the audience for sure positive or negative, Absolutely. you're getting a vibe. So now I would assume that your fellow bandmates now have that freedom to kind of run with it, which can make for an, mm -hmm. ex an exciting show, I would think, you know? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, like we play shows and I'm not going to say like, oh, yeah, every show that we play is sold out. No, definitely not. You know, like we play like bars where like two people showed up for the night, you know, and it's like, oh, man, this is this kind of sucks. But like we kind of like it too, because at that point, anything goes, we just play for the, the sake of playing and we have fun and we try out way things that we shouldn't be trying out at a show. And it's awesome. You know, and then we have these other big shows where it's the energy is just so much and we play closer and safer to the book of how the song's supposed to be. But some other magic happens there where it's like, we're playing it, but we're feeling something a little different and like, Every yeah, every show is just different, and it's awesome. Yeah. Now you're sticking as far as the clubs and the venues you you play at. Do you stick pretty much to the Long Island music scene, or have you branched out from there? Um, last last February we did a, a little mini tour, and we actually went around to where do we go? We went down to Virginia. We went to Richmond. We went to went to South Carolina from South Carolina over to New, uh, New Orleans, New Orleans to uh, Tennessee, Tennessee back to North Carolina, North Carolina to DC mm. and then Maryland. And then we were home Wow! and we traveled around and that was awesome. Like seeing the, the way that the music resonated in the different areas and for different people, it was great and it was definitely exciting. Um, for the most part during the year, we're pretty much Long Island based uh, for music just because of everyone 
like their work and what they do for a living too. Like just keeps us here. We don't have that much time to travel. Um, but the, the shows that we play are mainly like restaurants. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of, um, we try to stick away from doing full on bars. We'd rather be playing venues than bars. Um, and, uh, some nonprofit organizations too, any events that they do. Right. Anything for exposure. I, I found the singer songwriters and bands that I've spoken to over this past year of the very successful ones, they've all given back to the community and have played mm-hmm. a charity uh, or some event. And I tell you the goodwill of the stories that I've heard, you know, really comes back in spades because you never know who gets exposed to your music and then pulls you in another direction or another venue and say, Hey, I really grooved with those guys and they would fit in, you know, perfectly, you know, here or there. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that you're doing that. So I would assume the summer months are the real uh, time that you can hit the road and go out there and do it. But l- let me ask you this. Yeah. Let me ask you this. How did, how did the quarantine affect you guys? One, two, two places, one as a band, Okay, mm-hmm. and we're all, you know, we're locked up. And two, creatively, in a positive or a negative way. Um, In a really messed up way, it was completely positive for us. <laughs> we enjoyed every moment of it. Um, Besides, when it got really, really bad, where we just didn't want it, like we were really safe about our families and not trying to meet up and do things like that, that made it a little, a little bit harder. But um, as far as playing out, like it actually enhanced our playing out um restaurants really wanted to get back in the groove so fast that places were looking for music at the time and we were playing we we were playing almost every weekend it it felt like Mm. when when restaurants finally opened up we were playing every weekend um and we're playing so much so we got so much playing exposure with one another as musicians also just being out um so that was a, a really great thing and then creatively on a non-music level it it made us think like what are we going to do how are we going to promote um wh- how can we manage our time and what are we doing as far as like merchandise and things to really as, as a business we had to think about how can we bring in money without just playing music right and touring or doing you know typical shows so that was a, a really cool creative process that we had and one of those ideas was to start playing restaurants Restaurants were offering us more money than we were getting at bars for going out for a 45-minute show, and now we're playing three-hour shows. Right, right. You know, it was interesting, especially during COVID. There was a time I was at Lily Flan- – I'll never forget this. I was at Lily Flanagan's in Babylon, and I remember seeing a, a Caribbean band, uh, and it was two people with a third person, and they kept rotating that third person in and out uh, so there would only be two people at a time because the the, the bar was restricting – it to a duo. Uh, and, you know, so duos and, and trios were more apt to get some business when things started loosening up. So it was, it was pr- pretty yeah. interesting how that came about. And then I recently, this, I'm trying to remember the place, there's a place in Amityville. It's a great restaurant. He's a real promoter of the arts. It's like an Italian restaurant. It'll come to me. I'll put it in the, uh, the chapter marks. It's really good and I think would be a good fit for you guys. Um, and I just recently went to another place in Bayshore called Fire Island Vines, which is hmm. a wine bar slash craft beer restaurant. Uh, Angelo is a great promoter of, of local uh, musicians. 
And oh, that place sounds awesome. Yeah, I never heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah they opened up uh, just before COVID, and they survived. And what's oh, what's wow. interesting with uh, doing a plug for Angelo here is he uh, closes at ten o'clock at night, even on the weekends. So he doesn't want oh, the crazy. drunken bar crowd, the rowdy, the crowd, rowdy yeah. crowd. He he has a certain uh, audience that he's looking for, and he's really looking for the twenty somethings through the sixty somethings. You know, people drink and spend money, and and want to hear original music plus covers. Of course, you you got to move in. But um, anyway, big plug for uh, for Angelo. He's a, a a pretty cool guy. Hey, I want to talk about this. Let's talk about the song Fall that uh, we're going to play next for our audience. Tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll let the audience uh, listen to it. Yeah, so Fall was this musically this different kind of project for me to take on. Mm. Um, it was a very weird tuning on the guitar, um, this more finger-picking style, very light. Uh, and the story behind Fall is this the feeling of falling in love again um, and how we're so cautious about jumping and diving right into it and being afraid from all the, the past experiences of what can possibly go wrong right. before they actually do. You know, it's, it's just this fear that you have every single time because every time we fall in love and then love ends, it's like we're jaded. We don't want it. We become more bitter and it just keeps on going through this process. So the more times that you fall in love, the more bitter you are in the end. Right. Um, and that's that's pretty much the whole idea of the song. All right. So let's uh, let's get a listen to Fall. We'll be right back after the song. Check it out, everyone. Crack or give for let my walls break down And I knew it 
tell me something It's better than nothing No, this feeling of falling This fear of Appreciate you bringing that to the table. So what do you got coming up? It's very interesting that you did that whole travel, you know, through a few states. What do you got? Uh, so our approach for this next year is we have a bunch of songs that we're going to be releasing sporadically through it. Uh, I think every two months we're going to be doing a new single and a new single is going to drop. Um, so we got, I believe, like five more singles that we're going to be releasing. All different songs all different energy for each one of those releases. Yeah, you know what's, you know what's I, I find interesting? And you're talking to an old man who's 61 here who was used to diving into an album and playing it till the needle wore out, you know, on my phonograph. And <laughs> now the trend seems to be EPs, two, three, four, maybe five songs at the most, but kind of like making yep. ice cream cones to get it out into the market as onesie twosies, keeping the expectation for your audience alive, I guess. It's it's an interesting trend. Yeah, I feel like it's like trying to keep a relevance, you know, and it's always playing catch up. Um, I love the concept of albums and I love the idea that this is a collection of songs that could take you onto its own journey and it has its own theme mm -hmm. that's wrapped in. But um, from that business end, from that marketing end, I truly feel like releasing individual singles keeps us busy it keeps audiences more engaged and i just feel like it's not if i released an album mm -hmm. this month you know let's say i, re I released well not this month because it's right Christmas. nobody releases anything in yeah now right <laughs> if i release an album that even if it's a an ep or a full length you know there's five songs or it's 10 songs i feel like it's almost wasted because when even when bands did it back in the day, you look at it and you're like, well, how many singles did they really have off that one mm. album before the next one came? And it's like, well, only two songs were great that you remember. You know, it was a staple of the album. And I feel like all the other songs kind of get lost in the mix. And it's not making each one of those songs, which in its own is an artwork. Each one of those artworks is not getting the recognition that it like fully gotcha. deserves. Right. It's like when you give birth to that third child, you don't have as many photographs of that kid, you know, because you're, you're tired. Yeah. And you have less worries and you're like, ah, yeah, just you know, do whatever you want. That was probably the weirdest analogy like I've come up in a long time. <laughs> it's also, what's interesting too now with, with artists is you really, you know, and that's the approach that I took with the Long Island Sound podcast. I always had a curiosity. 
one, I love going seeing live music. As I get older, I wanted mm-hmm. I like a tribute band now and then that'll reminisce about an artist I like. But now I find out I'm getting exposed to so much music that's right around the corner from me in my own backyard that I never would have known about. And what we the position I yep. took here is, you know, I've always had that curiosity. What's that guy's story? What what's that gal's story? What drove them to write, to sing, to put themselves out there? So I, I go in as a, a curiosity a seeker. And now as a what I see with bands and artists is you have to have a lot of things in your tool belt to let's say stay relevant, you know, putting out EPs and putting out singles the way you're doing it. But then you have to have this social media yeah. aspect of things that you have to work, you know? Um, and you know, we've got busy lives. It's not so easy uh, to do that. So I, by the way, you have a great website and I'm just going to remind the audience that, Take a look when you're not driving and listening to the podcast. You'll see chapter marks, and you'll have the Spotify list for the Phil, um, Fire Talk Trio, as well as their website, so you can see events and and what have you there. But um, yeah, it's 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 interesting, you know, how you have to approach this. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? I'm asking you because there's nobody else in the room with me right now. Okay. <laughs> uh, social social media and. And social media, yeah. Now, social media, it's it, it is a full time job, you know. It's 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 always catching up, and it's like, oh, what's the new one that's out? What are we doing now? What's the trend? What are we, you know? How do we make our own trend? What? How are people going to see us? It's a beautiful thing. Uh, it's an amazing tool to use. It is uh, free advertising. You know, it's something that we didn't have before. The the amount that we can reach is awesome, but it's. Okay, I reached all these people, but how am I supposed to now engage with these people? And that becomes its own new problem that we all have to solve. Yeah, together, I, you, know, you know, I think you touched on it earlier. You know, where hey, let's let's be honest. Uh, even the very popular singer songwriters are not making money on Spotify. You know, they'll get a check for a oh, dollar no. yeah. forty-two. You know, every couple of months if if they're streaming tens of thousands. So where else you got to go? You got to go with merch, and you got to go with touring. And and doing, doing yeah. doing the gigging. I mean, you also have to, you have to go with you have to go with publishing. You need to go with placement of your song, commercials, as it always was. You know, Netflix is a great thing. Uh, you know, Amazon Prime, not just the music end of Amazon Prime, but the videos and the movies that they put out. If you get one of your songs in one of those films, I mean, that's where now you're making more money than you would even off the plays that you're getting on Spotify, which. You know, it never was really like that. You know, record sales were the, the base income of what a, a musician was well, making. Now, I'll tell you something. I just I just found this out from the Como brothers. Because of the competition between YouTube and YouTube Reels and TikTok, mm-hmm. YouTube, YouTube is actually paying them to do Reels because of their popularity. They're throwing them, yeah, they're yeah. Throwing them some dough, which is just, just kind of interesting. I would never have figured... That would happen as long as you ha- it, you're an influencer at that point. Every every new technology or new social platform is really looking for those influencers, people that are gonna that have a following that they're like, oh, this is gonna be a trend now. This is what we're all doing. They want, yeah, YouTube wants that, and I, I mean, you can't blame them. It's something else that's pulling people from watching and b- being on YouTube. More people are on TikTok all day just scrolling. I mean. 
when I go on it too, I don't even watch a full video. I, I scroll too, so my attention spans. Yeah, not if even you get they say either. if you get seven, if you get somebody to listen more than seven seconds, you're pretty good at it. So, and I'm not going to mm-hmm. take my clothes off. So I'm just telling you, I'm, there's some things I just won't do, and some things people don't want me to do anymore. So <laughs> that's one of the yeah. things. Hey, let's talk about uh, circles. The song you brought. How did that come about? Let's have the audience mm-hmm. take a listen to it. So circles was the, it was part of the album that we called circles. Uh, it was the first album that, uh, the trio as a trio worked on. Um, the first one that Liam was on, Jake Bergaglia was on it as well. And it was the, the album as a whole was a development of our sound and what we were trying to accomplish. We also went in with this mindset, which Looking back on, like, I, I wish we did it a little differently, but we executed what we wanted. Um, we wanted to do as raw as we can possibly do it. So meaning, like, if you listen to it, that's exactly how it sounds live. I think the only difference that we did was we added harmonies on the tracks. And there was no extra guitars or instruments that were added onto this whole album. And it came out great. And it definitely had the sound that we wanted and we, we captured it the way that it was. Um, and then when, like talking about albums like mm-hmm. we were before, this one, we went in with the concept of um, the, the title song was Circles, but we also wanted the album to have this, without being so apparent, it actually has elements in each song that are repeated if it's musically or lyrically, I think mainly it might've been lyrically with like certain words that were repeated from other songs or past songs. Oh, very interesting. All right. Let's let everybody listen to circle. Be right back after the tune. Check it out. Circles, but we 
Hey, everybody, we're back with Phil. And, Phil, I got to tell you about I'm really disappointed in something. And to give full, uh, uh, to oh, give no, full disclosure, um, uh, Liam Gordon, your bass player, actually played bass for a church group that I was in. He was too good, played too loud, okay? Why he isn't on the podcast, I don't know. Maybe he's afraid of microphones. <laughs> I mean, great bass player, but, you know, tur- you, you turn the mic player. off. I mean, yeah. you may want to put it in front of him just for shits and giggles but uh now i'm kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding <laughs> just doing that to see if uh mr liam gordon is listening to the podcast yeah you'll see if you get a, a text message right, i won't get a on. phone call because he's too young because nobody calls anymore <laughs> he'll, he'll just send me something in all caps so uh shout out to you liam good to uh see that you're part of this trio and uh hey you know what i i, I really had a good time chatting with you thanks for bringing me that christmas song it's so very timely uh, to get get this out oh, uh, no right problem. at Christmas, and um, you know who you know, and and you know you know the Como brothers and some of the things we discussed offline. Uh, 
we really have to support local artists here on Long Island. Uh, we do that here at the Long Island Sound Podcast. So, hey, when you're out seeing groups like uh, the Phil Firetog Trio, hey, put something in the tip jar, will you? Venmo them some PayPal money or whatever. It, uh, anyway, but it was really good to have you on the program. I, I wish you happy holidays. Thank you. It was a pleasure. I wish you the same. I look forward to seeing you guys live and enjoying your music. So uh, until next time. Thank you for joining us today. I appreciate the time you spent with us. Please subscribe and comment and visit us at gigdestiny.com. Until next time, be generous with your joy, keep your spirits high, and let the music take you on a journey. Be well. Thanks so much for listening. Please rate, review, and comment on the show. We really love to hear from you. And call our listener line at 631-800-3579. Again, thanks so much. Be well.